get rid of self-doubt. Get rid of that little voice in your head that we all have. No matter how much we say we don't, there's always a little voice thinking that you may not be good enough. Mm. You know, the coach might not believe in me. It's not up to them to believe in you. Mm -hmm. It's not up to other people to say you can or cannot do it. Mm -hmm. If you want something and you are clear in what you want, you make your want a need and you go after it like hell. Mm-hmm. Greetings, my friends, and welcome to episode five of Hardwater Radio. This is Jason Archer recording under the umbrella of Hardwater One, but today we are not in the Valley of the Sun. No, we are in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, which is just east of the Rocky Mountains here in the province of Alberta, north of Montana, for all you hashtag Americans out there. And today I have a special treat. We're going to be talking to Mariana Raguz, who is a former professional women's basketball player. Now, I know most of you guys probably won't know her name, so I'm going to give you just a little bit of her background. Now, she started with the Mount Royal University Cougars here and played with them for three years, and in her second season there, led the team to an ACAC championship. In her third and final year, they went perfect, 20-0, earned another ACAC championship, and in both of those seasons, she was named an ACAC first team all-star and a CCAA all Canadian. She was then named Mount Royal's Female Athlete of the Year. She went on to play for the University of Calgary Dinos before going overseas to play professionally in Europe for 11 years, 11 seasons, and was a member of the Croatian national team. And in that time period, she's faced quite a bit of adversity, and she's going to share a little bit of that with us today. So what I want to do is, rather than ruin the moment, I'm going to go ahead and drop us into the conversation already in progress and let you guys hear firsthand from Mariana Riguz. Um, I'm Croatian. I was born in Canada, but both my parents are uh, Croatian, so I'd be first... The generation First generation born in, Can- yeah, in Canada? in Canada. Yeah. Uh, two older brothers. Mm-hmm. But I always told people, my parents pretty much raised me if I lived in a village in Croatia. Like mm-hmm. very um, traditional, went to Croatian church, Croatian community, mm-hmm. spoke Croatian at home. I even mm-hmm. got put back in grade one because of it, because the teacher's like, this child needs to speak English. Really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. So went back in grade one because of it. And yeah, that's about... Of my childhood, did you, much came. did you find it challenging being uh, that that close knit of a Croatian community, or, or I should say, did you find it challenging coming from such a strong Croatian community into the broader broader world as you went into school and that sort of thing, or was it just sort of a support system? I think us moving to Calgary made it easier because I was born in St. Thomas, Ontario, so a smaller town. Mm-hmm. So I moved here when I was five. So it would have been a lot easier just being in Calgary, a bigger city. Because I even remember the teachers telling my parents, like, and even my dad saying, if we're going to be Canadian, like, they need to speak English. So then they didn't really enforce it at home anymore. Oh, really? So then I think it just got, it was just easier after grade one. Like, my mm-hmm. parents didn't really enforce it. Yeah. So they spoke to us in Croatian, but we always answered in English. I got you. Yeah. I got you. And so how did your upbringing impact um, your early path? I know, um, obviously, you talked to, um, to me privately about how much of an athlete you became and how involved in sports you were and obviously you know became a fantastic basketball player volleyball player among other things but how did that shape the athlete that you became 
Um, I think about having two older brothers, and that really probably made me very competitive in the household. Yeah. Uh, they were very athletic. They pushed. We also had a cousin who lived with us for a while, and he was a male, so we would always play two-on-two hockey, two-on-two rugby. And so just being the female and just having like a very old-fashioned mentality in our family it was like women aren't good enough to play sports and I think that was always my drive it's mm-hmm. like I always wanted to be better than they were so I, I could play with them because no what brothers want their little sister playing with them <laughs> so I think back in my head it was like oh I'll show them right like I'm just as good as they are so right. I think at an early age you just become very competitive in the household and it came to everything like food survival mm-hmm. right like you're always competing in against these three boys sure so I think it just was embedded in me at an early age just to be very competitive so mm-hmm. I didn't think of that as hard work. So when it came later to my career of being an athlete, mm-hmm. being competitive was just so natural to me. Sure. And, you know, obviously I got to know you because you're obviously my wife's best friend, um, best of lifelong friend. Over 35 years. 35 years now. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you guys talk about growing up in Rundle and you talk about this idea of nothing ever being given. What does that mean to you? What is What does growing up in Rundle have to do with that in your mind? It's funny, if you would have talked to me like 20 years ago, I would say growing up in Rundle probably didn't influence me as much as I think it does now. I think the older you get, you realize being in that neighborhood, a lower class, having brothers, having parents who are like hardworking, never at home, it's almost to the point where we knew we had to go out and get it. You know what I mean? There was, nothing was given to us. Like I even said to this day when we were talking, it's like we, we never came home. I was like, oh, how's school? How's this? What do you want to be when you grow up? It was just basically survival. You know, you go to school. <laughs> it was like you go to school, you do your work, you don't do your, you know, and basically you're scared not to do your work because you don't want to get in trouble because they call your fat, you know, if you call your mom or dad, you're like, uh. So basically it was really survival. <laughs> and then I look back, I'm like, but it made me who I am today because... I had to pay my way through school. You know, mm-hmm. like sometimes I I look now and not saying anything about the millennials everyone talks about, but there's that <laughs> entitlement, right? It's like now there's scholarships and so many so, so much is given to so many of these athletes at such a young age that I feel like they don't really truly know what that hard work is mm-hmm. and that passion, right? Because I had to work the midnight shift at the post office mm-hmm. for five years to put myself through school. So I went to work every night at 11 till seven in the morning went to school, played ball, did my academics, and then went back to work. Like I hardly slept. sleep, yeah. Yeah, I sacrificed sleep. But when you're young and you're driven, you you don't even realize that's even a a sacrifice, right? Because you're Mm -hmm. just so passionate. Mm -hmm. And so not saying everyone has to go down that path, because obviously mine's a little harder than most people. But when I look back, it's really what made me get through some of the tough years of my life, that Mm -hmm. adversity Mm -hmm. that I know we're going to talk about later is it's what drove me and where my mindset became stronger. I mentally became stronger because of my childhood. So growing up in Rundle now, looking back, was probably the best thing for me Mm because it did make me, I call it street smarts. For sure. And you mentioned, you know, growing up that you played all different types of sports, basketball, volleyball, badminton, I think you said as well. Yeah, anytime a school sport came, we just did it, right? Mm -hmm. Volleyball season, volleyball, badminton, badminton, basketball, basketball, track, track. Yeah, you just kind of just went through the years. I didn't start playing until junior high, right? Grade seven was your first organized sport. Mm -hmm. Never played club. We couldn't afford it, right? So Mm -hmm. you just looked forward to the school season. So how did you end up settling on basketball as something that you were going to really shoot for and go after? I don't know. I think it just kind of fell on my lap and uh, just playing through high school. And I think just always a part of me, I loved 
the recognition, you know, like being captain, getting MVPs and all these things that you know you're a good athlete, but I didn't know it was going to take me to the level I went mm-hmm. and to play professional overseas. I think I went to Mount, I went to Mount Royal College for three years. I got recruited to the University of Dinos, played there for two years. And it wasn't until after my season was done where I was like, what's next? Because I knew being an athlete was my passion. It was what I was excellent at, mm-hmm. you know, academics, not so much. <laughs> I really went to school to play sports. Right. And the fact that sports kept me in school, you know, got me my degree and all that. And it helped me be the person I am today. But I know going overseas for me was the biggest challenge. Mm-hmm. But once I got there, it's almost like, you know what they say, all you gotta do is get your foot in the door. Sure. And when I got my foot in the door, I never looked back. Right. And so it wasn't until after my university career where I tried out for the Croatian national team. But where did that drive come from? Like you said, you know, all it takes sometimes is to get your foot in the door. What is yeah. it that's causing you to stick your foot in that door? Um, it would have been what, what I call adversity. There's a mm-hmm. lot of things that happened at a younger age that made me a stronger person mentally and it made me want to go after my dreams. Mm-hmm. Uh, my brother, who was back in the day, I still think one of my heroes, very athletic. Mm-hmm. I always wanted to mimic him. He was one of the top players when we were in high school. Um, he took his own life his own life when he was uh, 19, just about to turn 19. And uh, I just remember the day, it was me who found him, that life is never going to be that hard for me. Mm-hmm. There's going to be that passion and that drive that no matter how bad things are, mm. I'm going to go after it because mm. this too shall pass. And for him, he's always been kind of like that motivational part of me where I know he's with me, but not like I'm trying to make him happy or prove to him I can do it. Cause I know as my, him being my brother, he, he, he'd believe in me, but I think that drive comes within mm-hmm. just knowing that I will make it, you know what I mean? And if someone says no, I'll find a new way. If someone says no, I'll find a new door. You know what I mean? It's almost like mm-hmm. you open a door and if someone says you can't do it, I'm like, no, I'll show you. I'll knock this door down. I'll get to the next one. I think he's my driving force of just saying life is too short and go after it. So would, would it be fair to say that part of your drive is, is for him? Um, yeah, it was. It, 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 not saying it still isn't. It, um, I'm retired now. Life has changed a bit. But in my career when I was playing, I still shoot foul shots for him. You know what I mean? So every time I'm on that foul line, it's always for him. I have my little routine. I say his name and I know like he was my driving force Mm -hmm. to make it to the top. Mm -hmm. And in my basketball career, and to this day, I still want to make him proud. Like I was almost... I like I know he's with me. Not not in an angel way, but even when I go on flights, you know, like when, when like when you go fly somewhere, I always like say, "Rob, protect me here." You know, like it's time. So that's kind of been my yeah. He's always in the back of my head of sure. like what makes me want to put my foot in the door and go after it. Fantastic, fantastic. So maybe if you would just retrace your steps a little bit from going from the college university level to your path overseas and what all that entailed for you. Um, three years at Mount Royal were great years. I was an all Canadian, uh, but back when I played at college, college wasn't really known for good athletes at the time. They always thought if you wanted to get somewhere, you got to play at the university level. So it was Shawnee Harley, who was the Dinos coach at the time, recruited me to come play for the Dinos. That's uh, University of Calgary. Yeah, sorry, the University of Calgary (laughs) Dinos. For all you hashtag Americans out there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sorry. Um, Which which is funny to say, she's the one when she wanted me, said I had to go to spring and summer school to upgrade some of my uh, courses to get into university. And if you really knew me at the time, I'm like... (gasps) academics. I was like, but I did. I 
it's one of those things. You just grind through it. You do what you got to do, right? Mm-hmm. And I look back now, one of the best decisions I did, uh, decisions I ever made. I played two years with the University of Calgary uh, University team, the Dinos. I was an all team, you know, all star first team. I had great two years. Two years was almost too short to be in the university because a lot of people mm-hmm. just didn't get to know me as a player. You mean within the system? Within or? the system of, of yeah. universities, right? Because a lot of times you, it's a five year program. So when you start from the beginning to the end, you play all the universities. You can go to nationals, you know, and so a lot of coaches would know you. The national coaches would get mm-hmm. to know you. So when when I only played two short years at university, trying out for the Canadian national team, they didn't even really know who I was, mm. right? The name, they're like, where'd you play? And so I knew that path right there might be kind of short because as soon as I walked in, they're like, oh, the fact that they didn't know who I was, I was really going to have to grind it out and try yeah. out. You weren't one of the golden children who were well, groomed, yeah. groomed from birth to exactly. be on the national team, yeah? But that was also my driving force because I remember them saying, like, you know, um, right now you just don't fit our system. It's not, you know, it's not about picking the best uh, 12 players, it's about picking the best team. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I was like, oh, okay. Like, it just, it's funny when I look back, nothing really stopped me. Like, someone said, you know, we're not interested, you didn't make a team. I'd be like, okay, see you later what's next for me. Mm-hmm. And what next for me was the Croatian national team. I was Croatian, like my parents. And it wasn't until this one um, Croatian guy I knew in the community said that his cousin was one of the top players in Europe. Mm-hmm. She was, organ- you know, she organized the Croatian national team. There's a huge league out there. I knew nothing about it. Coming from Rendell, lower class, you know, I had to pay my way through school. I had no idea that there was even a league in Europe. It's not big in North America at all. No, but now it's huge. Right. Like if you look back, like look at all the Europeans who come to the NBA, mm-hmm. like the Dirk Nowinski's, the Tony Park, like it's so big now right. compared to what it was when I first tried it's the out. the new farm team. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, yeah, I pretty much just called, uh, her name was Daniela Nakic and she was one of the top players in Europe for the longest time. I think she was MVP of all the Yugoslavian league back in the day before creation separated. And uh, she just said, yeah, all I can do is uh, fly down there and try out. And so I bought my ticket the next day and I flew out to Croatia and I tried out for the team and the coach absolutely loved me. He picked me and that's kind of where my professional career kind of took off. So was this after or before the tryouts for the Canadian national team? This was after. Okay. Yeah. Right. So was, was there an element of, I'm going to show these guys? Always. <laughs> always. I think in the back of your head when you're an athlete, there's always that I'll show you like right. mentality. Right. And that's kind of been my mentality to go to every game. My mm-hmm. every team I play for, every team I play against, I'm always like, I want the other team to want me. I want the other team to be like, who is that girl? Where did she come from? You know? Mm-hmm. So that was always my driving force. Is when I heard someone says you can't do it or we're not good enough, I back of my head is I'll show you. You know, because I, I always say you can't judge my heart. People can look at the outside and they can judge, you know, and, and think, oh, you might not have a good left hand. You might not be quick enough, but you can't judge heart. And That's that was it. me. I was all heart. 100%. Yeah. So talk a little bit about how the league is structured. You said you, So you came in and you tried out for the Croatian national team, made it, obviously. Yeah. Right. And then from what I understand, there's a series of leagues within each country. Yeah. Or, I'm sorry, a series of teams within each country. Yeah. And then the top teams play in the Euro League. Yeah. So yeah. It's, well, it's very similar. If anyone follows soccer there's always like your primary league so the league you play for is your country so if I was in Israel Croatia Spain Italy all those teams have at least 12 to 16 teams in the country that play in the league Mm -hmm. and only the top teams of every country play in a bigger Euro League Mm -hmm. which I think is 64 teams pools of four same thing home and away top two teams make it until you get to like the final four Mm -hmm. so um, when I first went from Croatia playing on the national team I met a lot of the older girls that came back from playing in Spain, Italy, all these top 
teams, they all had agents. I knew nothing about agent. Like I'm telling you right now, I really came from <laughs> like no clue what was going on. I was like, oh, an agent. Oh, okay. Contracts. What's this all about? So it was the older girls that mentored me. You know, they sure. got me in contact with their agent. I signed a contract with the agent. She sent me to Israel the next year with five other Croatian girls. And uh, that's kind of how you started. I played on the 13th place team in Croatia, uh, in Israel, in the Israeli league. Mm -hmm. And it took me four years to get to the top team. Mm -hmm. And the top team plays in the Euro League. So now you get way more exposure because all the European league and the FIBA Euro League is all televised. I see. You know I what see. I mean? So then that's where my career just went to a next level. So what was it like, you know, coming from Rundle, which was obviously not the greatest place to grow up, but, uh, and then now all of a sudden you're playing a game and someone's paying you to play basketball what was that experience like it was amazing yeah it really was I just it was a sense of not even accomplishment but it was a sense of I can take care of myself mm -hmm. I think I've always been taking care of myself since I was little you know you just you just have to right it's not like it's survival but you just do you grow up you know well, the thing is you don't even know anything different mm -hmm. right you just go kind of through the motions and then you get to the point where you're playing for money and mm -hmm. you're doing what you love. Like it was, I didn't even care how much money I made. I remember my first contract, I'm like, yeah, well, I get an apartment, I get food, <laughs> I get, what, this is amazing, right? And then you're nine months on your own. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times, you know, you're growing up with your parents, you're always growing up with someone else, like like authority around you. You get to a point mm -hmm. where you, now you're in Europe, you have your own apartment, you have your own paycheck, you're training, you're doing what you love. Mm -hmm. And I just remember like, I'm, I'm not coming back. Right. Like I'm making it. I'm, right. I'm going to keep this up and as long as I can. Right. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? Yeah. So I think that's when I took my career almost to a next level. Cause I remember coming back after my first year overseas and hiring my first personal trainer mm -hmm. and being like, I got to get 20 pounds stronger. Right. Like I was getting pushed around. Right. They just a whole European league. You know, you're young, you're 20, 21, you're playing against women who are 30, 35. Right. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. part of me was like, it's like, okay, this is where I need to become a better athlete. I need a personal trainer. I need a mental coach. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I just took my career to the next level. Mm -hmm. So I got bigger, I got stronger, I got smarter, and I worked my way right up to the top teams. Mm -hmm. The top team was in Israel for a team called Ramada Sharon. We made it to the final four mm -hmm. uh, in Napoli at the time, actually when the Pope uh, passed away. And we ended up getting third in that tournament. Um, I got my best uh, award there. They granted me the best guard of all of Europe. And best defender. What was that experience like after all these years of grinding it out? Well, it's, it's actually funny that you say that because I didn't know what year that was until I went home. And I, I actually saw your medal because you know, when you get older and you're like, hey, life goes on. I have a child now. He's three. I'm coaching. So you look back at some of the, you know, the awards you get and you almost forget because when you're in it, I was never really in it to get a medal or an award that I get. I was in it because it was a feeling. Mm -hmm. Like I loved playing, like I am so passionate. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I just love being on the court. I love being athletic. Um, I Right now I'm, I'm coaching, currently I'm coaching and it's just that passion I want to give to the kids. It's like, yeah, it's nice to see the medals. It's nice to see like, okay, the accomplishments I did, mm -hmm. but it doesn't prove anything. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like I don't look at the medal and say, oh, I was best guard. I'm like, I just remember the work that it took to get there. Sure. You know what I mean? So it's nice to have those now when you look back, but I don't know. I think right now my drive is just the commitment and passion I have for it. Mm -hmm. I can't even explain it. It's funny. Like, it's just when someone says, are you an athlete? I feel like, yeah, I was born an athlete. For sure. It's just, it's, sure. it's what I love to do. Yeah. And one of the, the phrases that sticks out that you said a lot is this too shall pass. This and, too shall pass. And I know that has a special significance for you, but I wonder if you could talk about the adversity that you faced with your back injury and how that applies. 
Yeah. So same thing at the top of my career, when you think everything's going well, you know, I was even saying to you, top teams want you, contracts, agents, you're getting the phone calls, TV, you know, endorsements. You feel like you're at the top of your game and then boom, life gives you something. (laughs) You know what I mean? I remember waking up and just something was wrong with my back. And then I even tried grinding it out for a day or two. Like, no, no, you know, this too is just a muscle thing. And it was about the fourth day in, I pretty much woke up and I couldn't move. Mm. It was like my whole right side was paralyzed. And uh, I called the manager of the team at the time, who's now one of my best friends. And I'm the type of player, like you could break a finger, tape it up, go. Mm-hmm. Like I never miss practice. I never miss a game. I've like, you know, sprained ankle, tape it up, go. Like I will do anything. A lot of times my coach would be like, are you injured? I'm like, don't worry about it. I'm good. Walk it off, so son. for me to call and say I'm in pain, they mm-hmm. literally came to my house in five minutes. They took me to the doctor right away, had an MRI. It was my L5S1 herniated disc. So my sciatica. And uh, pretty much the next day, the doctor said, we either go in here and fix it, mm-hmm. or you take the chance of it maybe not going back, or you might not play. And I just made the decision right there, like just go in and fix it. I know I'll do the work. I know I'll do the rehab. I know I'll be back on the court again. Mm-hmm. And so through that adversity of, it's funny when you're, when you're down, right? Like you really, really truly learn who your true friends are at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, it took me about eight months to rehab. Mm-hmm. So I knew I'd be back on the court because my passion, I never doubted it. Even when the doctor said I may never play at a high level again, I knew deep down I was going to. A lot mm. of times when people talk to me and I just, I don't believe in them, it goes in one ear out the other. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, you can say your two cents, but you don't know me. Right. You know what I mean? So I knew I was going to come back, but, but through that adversity and coming back, it made me a better basketball so, player. So no doubts ever? No, at that time, no. Hmm. I, I remember this? playing the victim. I totally remember laying there. <laughs> no, like we all do. You lay yeah, there, yeah. why me? And why now? What did I do? And is this karma? And, you mm-hmm. know, your mind starts racing and you kind of put yourself in the past and you're just, how did I get here? And a part of me was like, well, I'm here. Mm-hmm. What's next? Mm-hmm. You know, we all like to narrate our lives and our, and, and our story. We can talk about our lives, but really what's tomorrow look like? Right. We don't know unless we try. Right. And my whole philosophy is like, just put your foot out there and try. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is going to be tough. I knew it was going to be tough. And my thing was, I have to do the time. It's not going to be gone in one day. I'm just going to get bigger, stronger, rehab, mental. Mentally, I laid there. I remember in the hospital bed and just saying, this too shall pass. It's going to be hard. I knew it was going to be hard, mm-hmm. but I never doubted that I'd be I wouldn't be back on the court. That never once went through my mind. It's another instance of proving someone wrong. In this case, maybe the doctor. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Or maybe that uh, subconscious mind of yours too, right? When you think like, hmm, is it possible? Yes, Mm -hmm. I can do this. You know, we always have that, right? Where you're like, Mm -hmm. you're driven, you know you want something, but then there's that little voice inside that says, well, can you do it? And then I'm like, yes, I can. It's almost just putting your foot down on that voice and saying, just be clear. If you want something, go after it. Totally. And, and there's an aspect of life that really bugs me. A lot of times when I'm talking to people and they're talking about how inspired they were and how great it was to go through this experience and how motivated they were when they faced adversity, I'm like, that's bullshit. <laughs> there's a part of you that's drawing on your dark side. Uh, right? Always. And your dark side is going to help power you through that. Right. And, and not that you're coming from darkness, but what I hear is that there's a part of you that's like not to be fucked with. Like I will get what yeah. I say I want to get. And if I have to prove you wrong to do it, so be it. Well, that's why I like the silent workers too, the people who really know because subconsciously our minds are more powerful than our conscious mind. Mm -hmm. Consciously, I can sit here and talk to you all day long, 
but it's those voices at night. Is that what's waking you up at two in the morning? You know, like mm-hmm. what's making you get through this is that subconscious mind. There's a power there. So if you can train that and say, I'm going to get through this, I'm going to be bigger and stronger. And you say that to yourself every single day. Mm-hmm. When that day did come eight months later, I, it didn't feel like work mm-hmm. because I felt like I already did the work mentally. I knew I was going to get back on the court. It was just a matter of time. I never doubted it. That's beautiful. I think uh, too many people avoid the fact that they need to do the reps mentally. And it sounds like that's something you do regularly. Maybe did you know that this was going to benefit you or was it just something that you always did because you felt like you faced adversity time and time and time again? That's also a good question. Um, I don't know. I think maybe a part of me just growing up in the household I was in and just being as competitive as, as I was, you know, losing my brother at a really young age, I think losing him maybe started it mm-hmm. where that men- my mentality was like, I will get through anything. Mm-hmm. Like nothing will ever be that bad that I'm going to want to take my life. Was that the hardest moment of your life? That would have been the hardest moment of my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's maybe what got me through my back surgery because even back surgery is that physical pain. You're like, physically, you feel like you can heal. Sometimes it's a mental part that's hard to heal, right? Mm -hmm. But I was already so mentally strong and I always focused my career on just being that mental strong. Mm -hmm. But it's funny how you think you're mentally strong until something happens to you (laughs) and then you're tested, right? How many people talk, 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 and then all of a sudden it happens to them and you know, you don't even, yeah, you you don't listen to your own words or your own advice. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like when my back happened, it just taught me how to mentally just heal myself. Because if you mentally heal, you'll physically, your body's going to heal. Sure. It's almost like it was an opportunity to prove your own philosophy. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Without even knowing it. It's funny. The only way you can know it is to look back. You know, when you're in something, you're in it. And Mm -hmm. it's funny because we always talk about what we're going to talk about later is kind of like reaching that peak. And Mm -hmm. what makes you get to the peak is only when you look back. You know, you become stronger because you have something to compare your life to and you have all these different adversities. And Mm -hmm. if you can jump out of it quicker... You know, then you just get to your end goal faster. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of like, I think I live my life and I think I've trained my brain that I usually always see the the glass half full. Even the head coach I train with now, he's like, why are you so positive? (laughs) And I said, no, like I can live in the moment. Like I can be like, this sucks. We're here. Like I know the situation we're here, but what's next? How are we going to get the solution? Where are we going to fix this? You know, there's that positive part of me is like, let's live in this for a minute. Let's not be in, let's not dwell about something. What's the next step? So I think that's kind this too shall pass. (laughs) It really does work. Because then you really think about what, what does tomorrow look like? Sure. You know, what are my new decisions? What's my new thought process? Mm -hmm. You know, because thoughts are reality. Right. You think something, it happens. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone talks about the universe creating things for you. It will create whatever you think. Mm-hmm. You don't have to say it. You think it, it will come. Absolutely. So my whole thing is, is just try to believe that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. For whatever sure. situation you may be in, there is that light. Mm-hmm. It may come in one day, one year, 10, but there will be light if you believe in it. Sure. And so as you're coming through your, your back surgery and you're going through your recovery and you're getting there, right? What happens at this point? You, you, are you coming back to play basketball? Are you, are you good to go at this point? Are you doubting yourself? What's going through your head? Um, I, I remember laying there and I did play the victim for a bit. We all do, you know, you, you lay there and you constantly think, why me? What's going on? And then just, it clicked one day. I remember even telling the doctor, I said, excuse my language. I was just like, fuck it. 
I don't even care if I play basketball again. This was about me being healthy. I just sat there in the hospital room looking around saying, I want to be able to ski with my grandkids. I want to be able to have kids. I want to be get married. Like life, life seemed more bigger than just a basketball at that time mm-hmm. because a part of me knew I could be an athlete again. I knew I'd be back and playing again, but what was going to heal me was the fact that I had to let that go. Mm-hmm. Holding on to that victim mentality did not help me. I would just said, you know what? I need to heal for me right. and get healthy just for me and nobody else, no coaches, no agents, no what ifs. Right. I just needed at that time to get healthy for me mm-hmm. because I knew once I was healthy, anything's possible. Right. So you, it sounds like you acquired a new purpose and then uh, refocused yourself, right? Yep. And then I know from our previous conversation that you made it back to the court. And how many years did yep. you play after your back injury? Um, I played five years after my back uh, injury, and I actually came on the court bigger and stronger than I was before. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because I went back to the same team that I was playing for, and I made sure I came back at the, at the end of the season because this happened in October, and the league usually goes till about May. Mm-hmm. And I knew it was important for me to get back on the court before the season ended just to show the coaches and agents and everyone that I was healthy because if I mm-hmm. did take the whole summer off then it's the what ifs and can she play and right. so I didn't want to go through all that and so I knew if I just did the work and I rehabbed and I got bigger and stronger and I came back and showed that I was okay then everything would be good but it's funny because even the doctor said it would take eight months to a year mm-hmm. so when I came back within six I think six and a half months even the head coach wouldn't play me he's like no really? no no the doctor said eight I'm, I'm like, well, the doctors worried. always give you all. He's worried, sure. right? And he's like, no, right. no, no. And so then I practice. I remember even diving on a ball. And one of my good friends to this day, <laughs> she ran over. She's like, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean? She's like, you just had back surgery. I said, I don't know how to play any different. You know, and so I just, I just, uh, I was me. I felt healthy. I knew I was good to go. Mm-hmm. But it was almost like you had to prove yourself. Right, but you and that was the first off. time I ever became a bench player. You know what I mean? Because back in the day, you're like, now I was 10th player. And he just mm-hmm. didn't believe I was capable of what I was before because so everyone's that? got what those down like? well you know coming from superstar yeah, status but right? for me i just knew i was going to get back up there it was a whole way of how i lived my life so at that point I, I even, knew I even was sitting show him. even sitting you knew that if you did the work that you'd get back yeah and it's funny because i remember sitting there and now i always tell all my athletes who don't play is you have to do the time off court because mm-hmm. everybody is going to do what you're doing we're all practicing the same hour we're all going to the weight room in the same hour what are you doing different and i was on the court by myself shooting i ran i swam i did physio i was in the weight room because i knew mm-hmm. when i got my shot mm-hmm. i didn't want to prove him wrong mm-hmm. I, I didn't want him to throw me on the court and say ah see i told you so so I made sure that when I got my opportunity and my foot got back on the court, he was never taking me off again. Right. And it was exactly what happened. Right. When I got my opportunity, he threw me in the game. I became a starter again. Mm-hmm. There was just no doubt after that. And so I just knew I had to do the time. I had to do the work and had to be ready. Mentally and physically, you have to be ready. Because when you do get that phone call or that shot, when he looks down the bench and says, hey, are you ready? There should be no doubt in your head. For You're sure. like, put me in the game. Right. I am ready. And I was. You're like a living definition of luck, right? <laughs> preparation meets opportunity. Always. <laughs> well, it's so true. You hear it all the time. I love watching NFL life. Like there's like, the stories and they're always just like just... Everyone's waiting for the opportunity. Right. They're sitting back there and they're like, just put me in. Like mm-hmm. once you can see what I can do, like I am not coming off that uh, field again. And that's how I was with the court. I'm like, just mm-hmm. put me in because I knew what I was capable of and I knew I was ready. Mm-hmm. I did the work. Right. And so, and then I, I played five years after. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's still a very, very high level. And um, I retired about eight years ago, so I was almost 36 when I decided to give up. And it just got to the point where physically it was wear and tear. It's just wear and tear. I also played beach volleyball in the summers, like I was telling you. Mm-hmm. So basketball was my, for 11 years, what I did through fall and winter. But when I came home, I had a few WNBA tryouts, but I also played beach volleyball. So I just think the wear and tear finally just kind of caught up with me. Mm-hmm. Where I was like, what is the next chapter of my life? And that's when you got into the personal training, right? And then that's when I got into personal training. Mm-hmm. I love the weight room to begin with. And I, I think I lived in it forever. Like, and so for me, it was just a natural transition. Mm-hmm. The personal trainer who I, who um, I hired when I was 23, um, when I came home, he still um, mentored he still mentors me today. Um, he was opening up his own gym. He wanted me to shadow him. He grandfathered me into a business. He gave mm-hmm. me clients. And so it was just a natural transition. Mm-hmm. Uh, I came home and I started coaching a club volleyball team. I just kind of got away from basketball for a while. I think I just maybe needed a mental break from it. Mm-hmm. So I coached a U14 volleyball team with a good friend of mine. So that was a lot of fun. Just kind of brought the love of volleyball back for me. And um, yeah, got married, had a child. It's funny how for 11 years you're just an athlete and all of a sudden within five years I'm like, oh, got married. <laughs> My little boy's gonna be three next month. Mm-hmm. And I'm currently an assistant coach for the Mount Royal um, University Cougars. Mm-hmm. We were at college back when I played, but they now turn into a university. Yeah, so you're now coaching at the school, that you, one of the schools you played yeah, at. Yeah, so. so how's that experience? Um, I really, really enjoy it. It's funny though, even though I went to University of Calgary for two years, Mount Royal is where I started, like where I was an all Canadian, all my girlfriends started from, like I'm still friends with the same core group and going back there just feels like home. Do you ever just walk into something? You're like, this just feels right. This is home. Like it just, there's a comfortableness where when I went there, I knew I wanted to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, They just inducted me into the hall of fame last year. So that was really nice. So I was rewarded by that, by the head coach. And so that was also another it's really funny looking back at all my awards that last year, getting the award right. you know, for the Hall of Fame at Royal, right. where it all started. It's funny. Kind of felt more important than all the other ones. Yeah. I don't know why. Yeah. Just I. You came full I was circle. Proud. Yeah, almost circle. like the full circle. I was more proud yeah. of it because I was like, oh, wow, like, it was a full circle. This is where I started my career, right. and now they're actually inducting me. And I was like, oh, <laughs> it almost made it feel. Oh no, not all worth it, but. Where you almost do close a chapter. Like that was a chapter in my life. And mm-hmm. now I want to give back to these athletes. I want to give back to my girls. I want to be a role model. Mm-hmm. I, lo- I think a lot of females just don't have a female role model. And I think mm-hmm. part of me being a part of this team is I want to give them that. So what is it that you want to model for these girls? And I've seen them play. I've seen you play against them. Yeah. Right. And I've seen, I mean, honestly, I look at these kids in college and I think back to when I was college, when I was in college and I think I was never that young. <laughs> right. Now these They seem like they're 12 to me. Yeah. Right. And what are you seeing and, and what do you want to model for them? And what is it that you want to take away from their experience with you? I see that right now, and it's not just basketball and all sports, it's a lot of these athletes don't take their time to have fun and play. Like I remember growing up, like me and my brothers were outside playing constantly, like street ball. Like you even hear like all and like football players, like you get a bunch of guys and you play in the field. A lot of these athletes don't do that anymore. They're not learning the game outside of the court. So when they do come on to the team, they do feel a lot younger mm-hmm. because they just don't have the experience of just playing. Right. You know, because really athletes are made in the off season. It is just going out and shooting around outside. It is mm-hmm. just going and playing with your brothers and sisters and neighborhood friends that when I coach these girls now, I feel like they just don't have the skill set that they need 
in order to make it to the next level mm-hmm. at the age that they're at. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just because they're not getting enough reps. They're sure. not playing enough. Repetition's a mother of skill. If you're going to master something, you have to practice. You know, and I don't see these girls playing one-on-one or two-on-two and pick up and going places and going outside and, and doing all the extras. And I don't know if it's just the way the modern world is now with social media and there's just mm-hmm. so much more distractions. Yeah that they're not getting up and just calling someone and being like, let's go next door and play. Like it's mm-hmm. all about playing. They're learning how to play on video games. They're learning how to play, you know, and that's not the real world. Like when you go, the only way you're going to really learn to play and learn how to beat someone left hand, right hand around is you have to play. Mm-hmm. And so I want to teach these girls. It's like, if you want to make it at the level that you're at and be great, not saying you want to be a professional athlete after, but the five years of playing at the university level to me, when I look back still is the best five years of my life. Like, don't look back and regret it. Like, give it your all. Like, what's stopping you? Like, go 100% out. Mm-hmm. And motivation is funny because I think we've talked about it once before. Is like, you don't really motivate someone. Like, I can't motivate you. I can tell you what motivation feels like. I can give you a motivational speech that might trigger something and maybe, you know, get you all revved up to play. Right. But motivation comes within. Right. It's either you want it or you don't. Like, I cannot make you die for a ball. Like, when I play, I just die. Like, my body, I want it so bad mm-hmm. that I do it. But the athletes we're coaching is trying to take them to that next level mm-hmm. of like, if you really want something, you just got to go after it and be clear. Like same thing. I always say, Michael Jordan used to say, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take because mm-hmm. you, you, you have to take the risk. You have to take them. Mm-hmm. Only way to get better is through adversity and failure. And yeah, you know, maybe you get stuffed for the first 10 times you do it, but by the 11th time you're going to learn. And so I just want to give these athletes that, I don't know, confidence, I guess mm-hmm. that, no matter how hard things are going for you, school, you know, I'm sure that, you know, everyone has their own problems. It's like just to fight through it. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just that passion, the love of the game. Mm-hmm. I still practice with the girls. So I think being on the court gives them a little sense of that. Uh, Give them something to shoot for. Yeah. Motivation, <laughs> you know, get them to push me around. It's, you know, it's fun. Sure. So sure. I think uh, coaching right now is where I'm getting a lot of my fulfillment. Like I really, really enjoy coaching. Like I, uh, I thrive on it. I just want to see these girls succeed. Mm-hmm. It's not even as an athlete. I always say it's about being an athlete, being a parent, a daughter, just being a good human being because it goes mm-hmm. into the workforce later, right? No matter what you decide, it's just teaching these girls there's a skill set and that skill set can take you anywhere for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So talk to me a little bit about what it means to you to peak. Um, I, When people say, have you reached your peak? And I get asked that a lot. I always think of a mountain. When I think of a peak, I think of a summit, I think of a mountain, and I think of me climbing. And it's only way to get to your peak is to just to keep climbing. You're going to have failures. You're going to have falls. You're going to have bumps in the road. It's learning how to get out of those bumps quicker to get to your peak faster. Mm-hmm. But when you're an athlete and a true athlete, you never want to reach your peak because you always feel like there's something better. There's something new, right? Like, you know, it's almost like reading a book and that's the best book ever. No, there's probably even a better one, but you got to go find it. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's why I think as a peak, like, yeah, I did amazing as a basketball player in those 11 years, but I feel like there's so much more, mm-hmm. you know, and now I'm coaching, um, I'm a mother. I just feel like wherever I am, I want to peak at what I'm doing at that time. Mm-hmm. But I don't ever want to fully reach my peak because mm-hmm. it's, I think that's what drives me. Mm-hmm. 
to move forward every day. Like what's next? Mm -hmm. What's the next best thing? What can I do today? And so when I do get to the top of my summit, which I call the peak of my mountain, I want it to be when I'm a hundred, 110 years old. Right. And you look and you're up there and you're looking down and you're just so proud of everything you've done. And like, you feel like the view is just absolutely gorgeous. And you're just proud that of everything you've done has made you get to your peak. Mm -hmm. So for me, I'm still young. I know, and I'm driven and I have so much passion that I just want to keep climbing my mountain. I don't, I don't want to reach my peak yet. Well, you and me both. You asked yeah. me this question the other yeah. day and I said, I'm just getting started. Exactly. For sure. Yeah. So to all the young aspiring basketball stars out there, the females in particular that you want to have an impact on, what is it that you would say to them if you could mentor them right now to help them along their path? Get rid of self-doubt. Get rid of that little voice in your head that we all have, no matter how much we say we don't, there's always a little voice thinking that you may not be good enough. Mm -hmm. You know, the coach might not believe in me. It's not up to them to believe in you. Mm -hmm. It's not up to other people to say you can or cannot do it. Mm -hmm. If you want something and you are clear in what you want, you make your want a need and you go after it like hell. Mm -hmm. And that would be my number one advice to anyone is make your want a need Mm -hmm. and then go after it. And don't listen to anyone along the way. (laughs) I love it. So there you go, guys. Fantastic advice. Make your wants a need and go for it. I want to say thank you so much to Mariana Raguz for spending time with us today and sharing her story. That's going to close it out for us. Be sure and check us out on Google Play, CastBox, iTunes, and Stitcher. Be sure and leave us a review. Share this up with those you know need to hear it. And we'll see you in the next episode. So until then... This is Jason Archer signing off saying honor the work.